3: Blog Talk Radio.
4: But as we begin this first of two 21st century open mind programs with Judge Sarakin, I want to ask him whether over the years he's at all changed his mind about some of the many decisions he's made and opinions he's offered, both on the blog and on the bench. Lee, what do you say?
5: No. Uh,
4: Never I, changed your mind. I,
5: I've looked back. Uh, first of all, I've reread the blog in anticipation of today, and there isn't anything in there that I uh, wouldn't want to change today. And insofar as my opinions are concerned, uh, there too, I'm, I'm very comfortable with all of those opinions and stand by them today. Some mm-hmm. of them have been reversed, but even despite that, uh, I feel Even the reversals? Yes, yes. Uh, I recognize the validity of some of the reversals, but I don't think if I were writing the decision again, I would do it any differently.
6: Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, where we in, we are in search to bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight, it's actually part two, as we take a few moments to honor retired federal judge H. Lee Sarakin. And I'll tell you, we just didn't have enough time to get it done. But tonight, we conclude this this actual extraordinary look at the life of federal judge H. Lee Sarakin, what he's doing, what he's done then, what he's doing now, and the impact upon our criminal justice system. Folks, Hang on to your seats. AJC Radio kicks off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams, and the entire AJC Radio team. As we get ready to take a good look, at H. Lee Serekin, federal retired judge, that is, I'll tell you what, folks, uh, Dennis, as we looked at his his accomplishments, his impact on the criminal justice system here on Tuesday night, we just did not have enough time to conclude the impact of what this gentleman, this judge, is doing. And this example, really, he is setting for those that will come after him. That's true. I mean, we talked, we, we, we did get a lot out but uh, again it's just so much i mean uh this judge is truly uh the model of, of what a judge should be and uh you heard all the comments uh from different people that came on the show and i tell you they really uh talked highly of him because of uh, you know he's a truly a just judge and i mean that's what we need in these times of uh, sad that he's retired but good he did his time he did what he needed to do but even though he's retired he's still out there doing stuff for those that are uh, wrongfully uh, convicted. No, absolutely right. And we said the other night that uh, Just Cause has uh, set up what we call the H. Lee Serekin Gavel of Honor Award uh, created by this organization. Uh, and this is what it says. We will pass that award on to those who possess the qualities of the Good Samaritan, decry injustice and abuse, and make extraordinary personal sacrifices to advance the cause of justice for their fellow man and humanity as a whole. Appropriately, the first H. Lee Sarakin Gavel of Honor recipient is its namesake, the Honorable H. Lee Sarakin, federal judge, good Samaritan, fierce protector of the constitutional rights, and a hero. And uh, stay tuned for that, folks. We'll have information posted at AJCRadio.com where you can actually learn more about this, award, this ex- extraordinary, uh, very distinguished award as we honor, as it should be, uh, federal retired Judge H. Lee Sarakin. And William, your thoughts on the judge as we get ready to take off on this
7: journey? You know, there's no, there's no one that we've talked about that has had more integrity and has done more for, you know, to correct the wrongs in the justice system like uh, Federal Judge H. Lee Sarakin. I mean, he is he's such a tremendous person. Uh, he's touched so many lives. I mean, we talked a little bit about it on uh on tuesday but we only yep. scratched the surface i mean this man has done some amazing things and is co- and has continued to do that at 89 years of age
6: no oh, absolutely right we're looking forward to that and uh he's done a lot moving on we're going to get to get back to that here uh shortly in regards to that but ladies and gentlemen we're going to get into some discussion really quick uh one second Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we've run into some really bad territory with a company called WME. And I'll tell you what, WME has done some things that uh, are disgraceful. We had a show not too long ago on the part one uh, uh, show regarding the abuse of power by WME executives uh, and AJC Radio, and, excuse me, and AJC Radio was the one to expose that kind of corruption. When we were actually contacted about this abuse by Ms. Tanique Wright, uh, Vice President of HR, I believe, for PBR, which is under the umbrella of uh, WME, and the abuse that has gone on there against this young lady uh, is just not going to be tolerated, nor will it be swept under the rug uh, any further. These are things that should not happen. An African American executive. Going to school, doing what needs to be done, getting a degree, spending countless hours at night to obtain that degree, and she has become a target of a a system of abuse in corporate America. AJC Radio now starts the campaign of exposing that corruption of WME, Uh, and I'll tell you what, uh, I have Miss Tanique right here. Tanique, we're going to be going over this uh, next Tuesday. Ladies and gentlemen, tune in March 6th. 8 p.m. Eastern time. Tanique, you will be our special guest on that show. How are you feeling? Why is it so important that the platform go forward? There you have a little technical issue. Why is it
0: important that that message go forward? Because everybody needs a voice. You know, in today's society... Uh, so many, we hear about all these types of abuse that's going on in Hollywood. Um, you know, you hear the Me Too movement, the Time's Up movement. Um, it's Time's Up for, time's up for uh, you know, me to tell my story, for people to see the other side of what WME is. You know, a lot of uh, people right now just know that, you know, WME is this Hollywood, they, uh, they're only about, you know, Hollywood stars and you hear stuff on Twitter about how great they are. Um, I'm thankful to be able to share my story so I can tell people who WME truly is. So and, I'm looking forward to it.
6: And thank you to Nick. We look forward to seeing you on that program. And uh, folks, uh, Mr. Ari, I believe it's Ari Emanuel, uh, the CEO of WME, hides behind the cloak of corruption, along with Carol Katz. Folks are talking about the corruption going on there, folks that were sexually uh, harassed, those that were mistreated and fired as a result of coming forward against WME. Terry Crews, uh, also another gentleman who dealt with this issue uh, being sexually groped uh, on his private parts uh, and was told that he needed to be quiet. AJC Radio will speak out against this, folks, March 6th, Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, the Tanique Wright story and the abuse of corporate America, namely WME, who hides behind integrity. And I'll tell you what, it is complete deception. We'll see you then, folks, at that time. On the other side of the break, we continue honoring uh, Federal Retired Judge H. Lee Serakin. They call him the judge of judges and the judge of justice. we got more accolades to give on the other side of this break. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work. And at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout as we all do. And of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at one 855 529-4252. 529-4252. That's one eight five 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 two nine four two five two. 529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land.
2: I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister.
6: A registered nurse.
1: I serve my country in the United States military.
5: I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church,
0: and my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge,
8: exposed to violence,
0: witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall,
9: beaten,
10: sentenced as an adult at age 17,
9: sentenced as an adult at age 16,
0: sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost,
9: isolated, ostracized,
0: misjudged. Terrified. And in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life.
1: And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life.
9: Now I know I'm not alone. And
5: neither are you.
11: Now we have a voice. Now we We have power.
6: power. In numbers. In
4: numbers. In numbers,
6: numbers, we can can make a difference.
4: There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at
0: www.campaignforyouthjustice.org.
6: And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio, very special edition of part two of honoring H. Lee Sarakin, federal retired judge H. Lee Sarakin, for his accomplishments and what he does to stand for justice. The other night, we had David Banks of the R.P. 5 give his position and hit the impact that Judge Sarakin has had on him. Right now, Demetrius Harper joins us with his thoughts. Demetrius, are you there?
8: I'm here, Lamont.
6: Tell us a little bit about your experience and your thoughts of the judge, Judge Sarakin.
8: Um Judge Serikin, in, in my mind, you know, people talk about what a hero is. In my mind, he's definitely a hero because he's standing for, for justice. And you're always, at, I was always raised as a kid that, uh, that justice should be blind. And what we've seen through this this process is that that's this
0: college from a federal prison
8: so far from the truth so to to have mr Sarakin, judge Sarakin, um his his words were so moving for for us being here in uh, in florence that he believed our story he believed he looked at the facts of the case and as a judge uh you know that was just so overwhelming we talk about it amongst ourselves that How much courage, again, going back to what a hero, uh, what he or she can stand for. Mr. Sarakin, Judge Sarakin stands for someone that, uh, you know, that can't stand for themselves, even through the process of Hurricane Carter. So you see his, what he's done over the years. This is not something that he just takes lightly, but over his career, we've looked about it, we've talked about it. It's it's refreshing to see that there are people out there that still hold true to the Constitution, what it represents and what holds true. To what true justice is, and I think that's what America uh, has lost, and uh, you know, truth has basically fallen in the street So it's very, very refreshing, Lamont, to to, to see him still fighting the good fight. And we are very, I'm, I'm very appreciative to him uh, for 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 being our voice and, and and standing for that which is right, and standing for that which is uh, what's true.
6: And Demetrius, we echo those sentiments and. Uh, our thoughts and prayers go with you uh we know without a doubt you guys were wrongfully convicted and you were innocent of any wrongdoing as you sit and we fight for justice for the rp5 thanks for taking a few moments tonight to share your thoughts All about right, judge ericott thank you and there you have it folks demetrius harper one of the rp5 uh, really making it very clear of the impact and to be able to share that type of emotion dennis when you are behind the wall wrongfully and still have a sense of appreciation speaks volumes, especially when you have a judge that uh, a retired judge uh, who, who took the time uh, to look into your case. And the, and, and then again, we, we talk about the Huffington post, uh, the articles that he posted, we talk about how he, he really got involved because he truly believed after he looked over the case that these guys were innocent. And, and you got to you got to think that that is so touching because, again, uh, they, they, they truly lost faith in our justice system and, and as, as many of us have. But when you see a judge, a retired judge, one that said, hey, I tell you what, I'll look at it. But if, if I doubt in any way that the, you guys are not telling me the truth, I, I won't look at it. But when he looked into it, he saw he said, wow, these 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 guys are innocent. And I tell you, you put everything into it, still fighting. I mean all I could do is give this judge accolades and i i, I echo what uh, uh Demetrius was saying how you know justice is blind, but when you when he came on the scene all of a sudden uh, maybe maybe we could see maybe justice could see a little bit, but that that's only because of
12: uh the judge
6: no absolutely right uh I'll tell you during his time as a federal judge from nineteen seventy nine Ashley Sarakin displayed great compassion and uncompromising commitment to advance the cause of justice for the wrongfully convicted. Racial injustice and those who suffered abuse at the hands of government and large corporations. Judge Sarakin's deep and habitual concern about the conviction of innocent people being wrongfully convicted and confined and his willingness to forcefully and publicly address those issues is what distinguished him from his peers. Judge Serekin considers the wrongful conviction and imprisonment of the innocent as a society's greatest transgression and says a judge's greatest responsibility is to protect the constitutional rights of the accused and convicted. Uh, that is a sentiment, I'll tell you what, that is sorely missing from our justice department right now, I mean, from our criminal justice system uh, right now, William. And and when you that type of When you hear that he just states Judge Serrica displayed great compassion, I would have to believe is because he knew that the system was not doing all it needed to do to make that happen.
7: And that's true. You know, when you when we see we always see the symbol of justice being blindfolded and the scales of being equally balanced, and and we know that that is a symbol that our justice system has left behind long time ago. And it has always been tipped in the favor. At, at, excuse me. Not always, but we have seen it tipped in the in the favor of the prosecution.
6: And, well, we've seen, and we, let me say this real quick. I'll let you finish your thought. The judge will say it is their responsibility to side or to uh, agree or make a decision based on that is most favorable. Right, they
13: rule in the Ooh, light most favorable to the to government.
6: The, to the government. And. It, go ahead, Mark. No, no, no! Please, I, no, I did not want to interrupt. No, no, and that's and that's
7: and that's true. And what? And you? It, when you cut? When you're dealing with that level of bias already before they started, you know, presenting evidence before they started presenting the case, the light, you know, for the government most favorable. Most get, favorite. We're going to
6: get back to that point. We got another one of the IRP five online right now. Uh, Clinton Stewart, calling to give his thoughts. Uh, about the IRP, excuse me, about Judge Serakin and the impact on the IRP five and himself personally. Clinton, can you hear us?
8: Yeah, sure, I can hear you.
6: Clint, uh, go ahead and give us your thoughts on the impact that Judge Serakin has had on you.
8: Oh, it's been a big impact. Uh, when you look at someone uh, such as federal judge, uh, it, it, it just is really. After all that we've been through to see someone with, uh, with, with that kind of responsibility and held that post as an appeals court judge to actually care uh, is a great, great impact. And it really is something that makes you turn aside and look and say, wow, uh, this guy uh, is a refreshing breath of fresh air because nobody else cares. None of the other judges care. You go to the appeals court you look at the the, the the district court, you look at the prosecutor, a judge's job is to look out for the accused and those that have been convicted in terms of their uh, constitutional rights. Right. Nobody looked out for, for for LaWanna Clark when they knew she was innocent. No judge cared. No judge cared that uh, we were wrongly uh, indicted, even, after we had a letter from the FBI saying that this was a non-criminal case. So when you see Judge Serkin... Mm-hmm humanity and caring about justice when we look at the cases that he has uh, adjudicated in his in his career uh, it's just amazing and then he cared enough to put it into a script and a screenplay that's just absolutely astounding
6: absolutely right okay uh clint we appreciate you I, again as i said to Demetrius, our thoughts and prayers go with you we are we know without a shadow of a doubt uh you folks are innocent uh, and have suffered at the hand of injustice, but we will continue to fight uh, for justice for you and the IRP-5, and we thank you so much for your thoughts on Judge Yeah, we, cer- we
8: certainly appreciate it.
6: Thank you. Take care. And there you have it, Clint Stewart, one of the IRP-5, uh, giving his thoughts about this judge. Uh, Clint, when you hear the... Um, I, 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 wanna, I don't want to say enthusiasm, but when you hear the utmost respect being demonstrated on that call with Clint uh, for this judge, and he made a good point. He said nobody cared enough to act. The judge, the, dis, uh, the prosecution, uh, that speaks volumes when someone is at that level uh, where they can actually have that type of feeling about what is going
13: on. Yeah, I mean, you know, in this whole time that we've been uh, in this fight, it has been... I mean, we can do nothing but echo what is being said there by by Clint, because as we reached out to people, as we reached out to, um, you know, judicial professionals, as we reached out to, uh, you know, attorneys that, you know, it's supposed to be high powered attorneys and attorneys that can, you know, when they show up, the system is supposed to move and do what's right. You find out that their their reasons for being there is typically an ulterior motive whether that be money whether that be some type of fame or whatever it was not in the best interest of uh of their defendants of these men that you know everybody will say oh yeah look when i looked at it i saw these these men are innocent but to get on the stage to get on the national stage such as judge actually Sarakin and declare it, and say, you know, I'm willing to write it in the Huffington Pulse. I'm willing to, I'm willing to get on uh, on the radio, and I'm willing to do a screenplay. Saying that these men are innocent, that speaks volumes to his character. So without question, joining us right now, Kendrick Barnes,
6: another one of the IRP five, and to give his thoughts on Judge Sarokin. Kendrick, can you hear us?
8: Yeah, I can hear you. Speak up a little bit. He's not the best phones over here.
6: Okay, can you hear us clearly now? Okay, give us your thoughts on Judge Sarakin. Uh
8: First, I'd like to say is um, I've never met him, and he's never met me. And that stick stands out the most to me is that he spoke up for someone he doesn't even know and basically went to bat for a complete stranger. And to me, in this day and age, that is the, I mean, ever meeting the guy, I know that that guy is a, is a man of character. And that's something rare that you can't hardly find in in this world today. To stand up for what is right. And you don't have to know me, and you don't have to know the next person. But I think I learned a lesson from uh, Judge Zarek to stand up for what is right. Just just for the right and wrong of the the situation. And for him to, to speak up and to go as far as to write a play and to feel for people who were basically taken advantage of by the system. And to me, that, that will always stay in my mind and in my heart for a person like that that will, that will go to bat for you when you can't bat for yourself.
6: No, you're absolutely right on that, Kendrick. Uh, and those are things that that have to be echoed, and that's why the message tonight is bring, is being brought to our listeners uh, that, J- Judge Sarekin, as you said, and you make a good point, for to not to meet someone, not to ever come in contact with them, but the facts. And see, people don't see that. This is what's being missed. Oh. Judge Serekin... to stand up... Go I ahead.
8: Assume, excuse me, just for a second. Yeah. Said that he's, he, he took a lot of pressure from
14: others in his, in his field. I mean, and that's, and that's huge. A lot of people back down the
8: pressure, even when, even when they know what they're saying is right. But even to, to risk his own reputation to, to go against... Uh, to almost have to speak against uh, people in the same profession as him, to do that for the right reason. I mean, that—that that is just huge. I mean, that that's one thing that should always be a, a, a marker and a memorial
12: for this judge
8: is that he, no matter what, just, just for the right, because it's the right thing to do, even if you have to face pressure, you have to face opposition, he was willing to stand up for the little man and to and to speak up to say, this is wrong. And and th- that to me just means the world.
6: Well, we appreciate that, Kendrick, and your thoughts on that. Our thoughts and prayers go with you, your family, as we continue to fight for justice and bring you guys home. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes tonight.
8: All right, thank you, Lamont.
6: Thank you. <laughs> there you have it. Kendrick Barnes, chime in like everybody else. And I think that is, that's huge. The statement of, uh, that definitely stands and he says here, another point of Judge Serekin's, Judge Surikin's, uh vigilance and unwavering commitment to protect the constitutional rights of the
14: accused
6: and convicted was seen by some, some Republicans at the time of his retirement in the mid-1990s as being soft on crime. I've always been resentful of the fact that judges who protect the constitutional rights of persons accused or even convicted of a crime are labeled as being soft on crime Sarakin said in 2011 it's just to me utter nonsense judges <clears throat> excuse me judges are against crime as much as anyone added Sarakin, but their job is to protect the rights of those who are accused of a crime and of those who are convicted said Sarakin. and that is the truth and that's where you cannot have politics you can't have politics involved that's the problem, and uh, uh, those are one of those things that uh, we definitely have to pay attention to. We have to look at, uh, and like we said the other night, we if there was a way to clone Judge Serrakin, his mind, his his conviction, and make thousands of them, our justice system would be a better place. Dennis, your thoughts? That is so true. I mean, when you got a when you have a judge that is impartial, uh, that is not, you know, either, you know, on the Republican side or Democratic side. It's not about politics. It's about right versus wrong. It's about the rights of uh, all Americans, uh, accused or not accused, innocent or guilty. I mean, and that's what I I mean, that's what sticks out about him. And again, I'm just thinking about what Kendrick said, how he, he, he said that he did not even know me. But still, he was willing to take on our case and look at it. And that's awesome. And right now, joining us from the RP5, again, Dave Sopolo. Not again, excuse me, for the first time, Dave Sopolo. Dave, can you hear us? I can. Dave, give us your thoughts. We're talking about honoring Judge H. Lee Sarakin, who took up the challenge, if you will, and the, the battle, the fight, to fight for the RP5, the RP6 at the time. Uh, but continues to fight for the RP5. Give us your thoughts of how that has impacted you that he has gone to this extent.
8: The impact for me has really been tremendous because if it wasn't for him, I would probably think that every judge in America is, doesn't care about justice at all. Uh, to me, Judge Serakin is the face of justice. There are too many judges out there that are about protecting the prosecution or protecting other judges. Judge Serekin is about justice and making sure that justice is done. You see so many men here that don't have anybody fighting for them. And we had somebody out there that never even met us that was fighting for us because he knew what happened to us was not justice. And more more judges in America, they need to take the call and become more like Judge Serekin. They need to be fighting for justice as opposed to the status quo.
6: No, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Dave. And, and these are things that, uh, as you said, there are many that are sitting in prison today that have no voice. Uh, we're grateful That's right. We're grateful that Judge serakin has done that. If there was anything that you could uh, say to Judge serakin Dave, what would it be?
8: I, I would turn around and I would say... I thank you so much for all that you've done. There there just are not enough words to say how much I appreciate the time he's taken and the feelings that he's had for us, because when you hear from him and you hear the things that he's wrote, wrote, you know that he has had strong feelings for our case and what has happened to us and the injustice that was was, uh, against us. And we see that he cared enough to turn around and say, no, this is wrong, and these men need to have justice prevail.
6: And we appreciate that, Dave. Dave, take care of yourself. Thanks for taking a few minutes tonight to share with us your thoughts as we honor the federal retired judge, H. Lee Serekin. We appreciate it so much. Thank you. There you have it, Dave Zapolo of the RP5, uh, giving his thoughts, talking his conviction, and the impact of federal judge H. Lee Serekin. And those are things that go a long way. Uh, you don't hear this much about judges. And it's, it's a sad thing. And listen, I'm sure there are other judges out there that have the same conviction. I've actually talked with some here locally in the El Paso County District Court, uh, and I've observed them in proceedings, and they have a heart of gold. They are there. Tonight happens to be the night we honor this federal judge who's really given his life. For justice, Dennis. He's given his entire life. And still doing it. And still doing it. That's, for that's what's awesome about it. He's still out there uh, pushing uh, for those that have been wrongly, wrongfully convicted, those that are innocent. Uh, again, it's a tragedy that uh, as we see, you know, there's a rise. Uh, you, we see the, the continual exonerations. But I tell you, it, it makes you feel good that, you know, this judge went out there. Like they said, on the limb. I don't even know. I have never met the IRP five, but yet he gave it all he had. I mean, he he did playwrights. He 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 did uh, articles. I mean, that's just awesome. That tells you what type of a uh, justice is. Oh, without question. And now we're honored and privileged to have joining us, David Banks. One of the IRP five gives his thoughts. We heard from him the other night and, and David, we talk asked you again tonight, uh, your words on H. Lee Sarakin, federal retired judge.
15: Well, I would like to take a moment to me at this point. Uh, I'll, I'll recall him uh, like my adopted grandfather. This was uh, Judge Sarakin is a very humble man. He would say uh, he was just doing his job. But uh, in reality, uh, I just don't feel like nobody there's nobody else out there in the justice system. I obviously I could be wrong. It might be like looking for a needle in a haystack, but when somebody that's not related to you and not a member of your family, uh, doesn't necessarily love you, uh, the way your family loves you actually stands up to do the right thing. I think, I think that's, that's a, that's a huge, huge deal. Uh, I'd like to put something in perspective. Um, and put a little analogy to to kind of what happened to us and, like, and explained that we really had nobody else to go to in the justice system. If you could equate, uh, we went to the U.S. Attorney's Office. They attacked us, beat us, kicked us. We went to Judge Arguello seeking help. She stabbed us. We went to the appellate court. They uh, did the equivalent of uh, shooting us. And as we crawled, bleeding and wounded to the U.S. Supreme Court, knocked on their door, the door got slammed in our face and the the sad reality is, is the system is set up for you now they say well file a 2255 well that goes back to the same judge that that stabbed you in the first place where nobody was there to do justice for us everybody at this particular point in the justice system turned their back on us except for a judge uh at 85 years old uh who decided that he would stand for us and and defend us and defend our innocence and defend us against the misconduct that was done to us and in my heart uh i can't thank this man enough for taking the time i can't thank just sarakin enough for taking the time to help us because who else in the justice system was willing to help us? I've looked around, I can't find anybody. So I'm just grateful to God that He put Judge Serrican in our life uh, and was able to help us. And and some people think, say, doing the right thing is never a failure. Where, no matter whatever happened with us, the fact that somebody was willing to do the right thing. Uh, I don't have words uh, to thank him enough uh, for for what he's done and what he means to me. Uh,
0: This call is from a federal prison.
15: What he means to me just as as a person and a human being. He's just a great man.
6: Well, David, thank you for your analogy. It hits home. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. And our prayers and thoughts continue to go with the RP5 as we fight for justice. Thank you so much. Thank you. There you have it could have said it better. If you go in your mind right now and go to where David Banks just took you, you're bleeding. You're dying. You're crawling, asking for help. And you've been shot. You've been stabbed. And you go to the judge that can make it better. And she slams the door in your face. Take that journey with us in your mind. And all of a sudden, a judge who is retired at the age of 85 observes you bleeding to death. And he says, I'll help, which goes back to the H. Lee Sarrick of Honor Award. And one point in that says, who possesses the qualities of the Good Samaritan. If you know that story? the good samaritan story a man was beaten and robbed on the side of the road injured and the other guys walked by saw the man bleeding and went on the other side of him and kept walking Till the good samaritan stopped, and the story goes that he picked that man up put him on his donkey and he nursed him back to health judge Sarakin, without question possesses Qualities of the Good Samaritan, as David so eloquently gave that analogy. This is AJC Radio, shining the light, if you will, and honoring the Judge of Justice. They call him Federal Retired Judge H. Lee Sarokin. We continue our honor of him right after this.
11: Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? Or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall.
9: When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do board chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more, you might just save a lot.
3: And does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors.
16: Incarceration means that we've got a very high rate of incarceration historically, comparatively, and the other thing is the rate of incarceration is so high, so socially concentrated, we're no longer incarcerating the individual but we're incarcerating whole social groups. The rate of incarceration now is about five times higher than it was historically. Historically, it was 100 per 100,000. Now it's about 500 per 100,000. If we look at prison, if we add jail to that, it's about 700 per 100,000. Nowhere in the world incarcerates as much as we do. We've seen extremely high rates of exposure to the criminal justice system for African-American men with very low levels of schooling. So if we think about black men who were born in the late 1970s and who were growing up through the American prison boom, Of the 1980s and the 1990s, the chances that they're going to serve time in state or federal prison if they dropped out of high school is about 70%. So going to prison for that group of black men with very low levels of schooling, that's become a normal life event. That's really only happened in the last 10 years. We're at this point now where there's about 1.2 million African-American children with a parent who's incarcerated. That's about one in nine. The research shows that kids who experience parental incarceration have diminished school achievement, they have behavioural problems, depressive symptoms, acting out. There's also evidence that these kinds of negative effects associated with parental incarceration are concentrated more among boys than among girls. And there's a very real risk here that incarceration becomes an inherited trait The underlying issue is we've chosen prison as a way to respond to that problem of crime. And there are a whole variety of ways that we could have chosen to respond to that problem of crime. We've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty. And we've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty for a historically aggrieved group whose liberty in the United States was never firmly established to begin with.
6: Ladies and gentlemen of America, welcome back in. This is AJC Radio. Very special program as we conclude our honoring uh, only because we have to. Not that we want to by any means, as we have been thrilled the last two programs here to honor retired federal judge H. Lee Sarakin and to highlight the judge of justice, because that's exactly what he is, William, as we have heard from the RP5 tonight. And let me say really quick, this show is dedicated, as all of them are, to the RP 5 Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Cipolo, David Banks, and Clinton Stewart. But as you hear from them on this judge, uh, H. Lee Sarakin and th- th- the last statements made by David Banks, pull the heartstrings loose. Your thoughts on what you heard and what we're, what we're doing here right now?
7: Well, you know, David, David did break it down. As, as plain and as clear as it could be. And even as they were talking, I think it was when Demetrius talked, I was speaking. I thought about the words that Judge Aguayo had shared with him, talking about your life is in my hands. And you think about this, the, the arrogance and the pride that it would take to say that to a person. And then you think about the fairness of Judge Serekin. I mean, that's the that's the contrast. That's what we're talking about we're talking about a judge that has compassion and is and is there to do a job and 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 preserve, you know, human life, preserve the family, do the things that is necessary, overturn the wrongs. And then here's Judge Arguello that like David said stabbed you in the back. Reaches out for the, you know, reaching back to the judge that could do something and stabbing you while you're down. So that's the contrast of what we're seeing. Day in and day out in our courts with the example of like Judge Arguello, and then when you talk about retired federal judge H.C. Lee Surigan and what he has done, and for him to take on the, the case with these guys, and like Kendrick said, he doesn't know these guys. He read through the case and saw these guys were wrongfully convicted. They'd done no wrong and said, listen, this is something I've got to get behind. I have to use my platform. I don't care if I'm retired. I need to reach out to those that, are, that will listen to me, write letters, do the play, and say, listen, these guys have a story. They did no wrong. And someone has to do something about it.
6: No, oh, absolutely right. And, uh, again, we are honored and privileged to be able to honor uh, Federal Retired Judge Jason Lee Sarakin, his work, his, his integrity. I mean, you name it. Right now we're going to bring part two of the interview Uh, in regards to that happened some time ago when Judge serikin was introduced to these issues. And let's go to part two of that interview right now, folks. Sit back and enjoy.
5: Has there been an application made to the judge since the trial, since the guilty verdict for the transcript? And if so, what has the judge said in response to that application?
13: That is that is uh, one of the one of the motions that the the uh, defendants made after the trial, saying we want to have a hearing about where this transcript is at. you've sentenced us to anywhere from seven to 11 years, federal prison and remanded them immediately into custody. And they don't have their entire tri- uh, trial transcript. And so they they made the motion. She denied it uh, again. Uh, it was. Uh, recon, uh, reconsideration. Me, did she give any reasons why she would deny it? She, from from what we what we're looking at in her denial of the motion, it's pretty much like she's saying it's a moot point. It's like I've already addressed it. We're not going to deal with the part of the missing transcript. And I understand, I mean, everybody said it's bizarre. It's strange. It's unusual. I've never seen anything like this. So I understand that you're trying to wrap your mind around what is the judge doing here and why would she be doing
5: this? I could understand that in the middle of the trial, there was a request for an expedited transcript uh, uh, near the end of the trial that she would say there's no reason to expedite it. But once the trial is over, and you make an application to get the full record, I I just, you know, it baffles me as to why anyone would deny that motion. Um, Just, I I can't answer that because it's inconceivable to me that a judge would say, no, you can't have the record of this trial or any part of it. Well, it's very strange as I say, and I, I, I don't, you know, again, I don't want to, uh, presuppose what the appellate court might be doing. Uh, but it would seem to me that they can't decide it without the transcript. They'd have to make a finding that what's contained in that transcript is not prejudicial. Uh, and, uh, I, I don't know how they can do that. Well, have there been affidavits filed as to what supposedly was said? To the defendants uh, by the judge that created this uh, Fifth Amendment violation.
13: Yes, there has been affidavits by the defendants. Ironically, the, U- the uh, U.S. attorney, Assistant U.S. attorney, who was the prosecutor, um, you know, uh, Matthew Kirsch, he has not written an uh, affidavit. The other Assistant U.S. Uh, uh, assistant U.S. attorney, um, Sanitra Hazra, she has not written an affidavit. So you have the prosecutors are not are not touching it with a 10-foot pole. The judge is denying it. The court reporter has told three different questions, three different answers to the appeals attorney when she asked about it. And so you have, you have all – you have these stories, but you have a judge who is not allowing the transcript to be released, and all the defendants are saying, give us due process. They have been in prison now 21 months, and their entire transcript – is not even available.
5: Does the does the transcript exist, or did somebody say the notes are lost? Has there been any excuse, as a, as opposed to a refusal to turn it over, any excuse for not producing it? Exactly. I mean, she couldn't possibly I mean, say that two hundred pages of testimony because she didn't have her earphones on. I mean that that would be that would be ludicrous.
13: It absolutely ludicrous. I mean, any of us, if we have headphones on, we say you're listening to music. If if you if you you know bob your shoulder too high and knock your headphones off and they hit the floor, by the time you pick them up, you maybe missed 10, 20. Let's say one full minute. You kicked your headphones under the desk and you have to crawl under there to get them. That is not right. 200 pages of of conversation i mean 200 pages is more than just a few minutes at a sidebar so for her to try to come up with that excuse is uh like you say ludicrous and and judge we actually have uh the appellate attorney the appellate attorney for the ip6 gwen solomon and she she's one of the appellate attorneys and she would like to ask you a question all right Uh, gwen are you with us
0: yeah, good uh, good morning. I mean, good afternoon, Your Honor. I'm, I'm Gwendolyn Solomon. I'm the attorney for the appellate court. I mean, for the IRP 6 on the cases pending. I had a couple of questions because I did, we did file a, t- a rule 10C and I know that uh, as I was listening to you, you will only possibly be able to answer hypothetically of what you possibly would do in your experience. But we did file a federal rule of uh, procedure 10C with the affidavit. The judge um, the reason that she denied the, um, uh, according to her, that she denied the, um, for that to, be, to go through the affidavit was because she said that because the U.S. attorney uh, did not agree with what was being stated by the defendants, but they never did state their version of of what was going to take place there. So my question to you is, um, what would you have done or, um, because we did also submit That supplement that to the court of appeals uh, for them to review that, and I'm just not understanding why they have not reversed the decision, even based on that. That the um, the judge is not.
5: Yeah, Gwen, did you make a separate application to the court of appeals to get the transcript, or is that just part of your appeal?
0: Um, We made a separate application, and we also filed a writ of mandamus to compel the um, to, to request to compel the judge that to release the uh, transcript, her and the court reporter, and that was denied also.
5: And, and on what basis was that denied? Um, they given it?
0: The, the reason that they said it was denied was on the basis that um, it was in our in our briefs. It was already briefed in our briefs uh, about the missing transcripts, and, and basically they will review it um, when they get to it. That's pretty much the summary of it.
5: Oh, I, in other words, but what they said is that they'll decide whether or not the absence of the transcript on uh, uh, the merits uh, justifies uh, the dismissal or uh, or uh, a new trial, right. correct? They That's didn't correct. say yeah, that you weren't to
0: it. Yes, but I'm trying to understand why they wouldn't compel them to release it when they know that it's there.
10: Or if yeah, I don't understand could-
5: that he. If- uh, but you know they may be deciding whether to uh, order a, a retrial or dismiss the proceedings. With, I doubt that they would do that. Order a new trial just based upon the absence of the transcript. That may be part of what they're wrestling with. The the mm-hmm. reason for the delay. I don't want to even speculate. Uh, a year sounds like a long time, but mm-hmm. it might be a difficult might be a difficult case. That that. I don't want to be critical of an appellate court that may be, you know, overwhelmed and have a lot of other cases they're working on.
0: Okay. A couple of other questions I had. If you don't mind, I'd like to pick you. I'll have you on the line. Um, I noticed that in the um, during the jury jury instructions, they included the indictment and in the jury instructions. And is that something of normal procedure that you have experienced that that would take place in the court, in the federal court? No, not
5: not usually uh, uh i mean I, I don't know if it's reversible error uh because there are accusations they're not they're not evidence so i would be surprised uh if that was going to the jury but i i, I can't say that it would be necessarily reversible error but i don't think that's the normal practice
0: okay i didn't think so either after I reviewed that review uh, that the only thing okay. that
5: some judges might do is have the jury have the indictment in front of them so they can go through each count and uh, and decide uh, guilty or not guilty by having the charges right in front of them. That That's possible. So okay. it, it depends on the practice of the, of, of the local judge, of the judge district court judge, but I don't that's think right. it's reversible error. Uh, judge
13: Eric in your court, how, how when a, when a, a court reporter is transcribing, how did you see that information uh, well, immediately but, uh, during the trial?
5: Darren's view of the court is a little bit more uh, decent than mine. Uh, uh, my court reporter used a steno machine, but sound reported everything, and the reason for that was when he went to transcribe his notes and prepared the transcript in case some of the shorthand on the machine, the steno machine wasn't clear, he'd go to the sound recording. And it's inconceivable to me in this day and age in the federal court, particularly in Colorado, by the way, which I think has sort of advanced when it comes to computers, that they don't have an alternate way uh, to maintain the the record. And uh, the fact that the court reporter doesn't have it or hasn't typed it up, as everybody says, is inconceivable. This record exists somewhere, um, and and for some reason, uh,
12: they're resisting
5: producing it, I think, is a fair inference. Uh, uh, Darren, uh, uh, can I call you that? Yeah, please. Yeah, I, I don't know if you heard the earlier part, but what the claim is is that the defendants, in effect, were told by the judge, and I don't know whether it was just in connection with scheduling but in they claim that uh, he uh, compelled them to testify they didn't have any other witnesses and um, i said he she said something to the effect well then one of you will have to take the stand now that might have been said uh, or unless you do the case is over because you don't have any other witnesses but they inferred from that that the uh Ah. the judge was Extent and that's why that particular segment of the testimony of the transcript is so important because if if that weren't the contention and there's something missing, appellate court is allowed to say well unless there's some prejudicial error involved, what well, difference does it make? But this is so critical that that's why they want it and that's what the big plus is about and legitimately so. Now we're talking
1: about over. 200 pages of trial transcript over we don't really know how many pages there are we don't know what all is 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 you know in in, included in those over 200 pages but anyway i called and spoken with um the i had called and spoken with judge hartz's office and uh he is one of the appellate attorney uh, appellate attorneys on i mean uh, one of the appellate judges on this case and I talked with, when I called, he he actually called me back because I left a message, and he, he called me back to say, call me back and, and, and see what it is that, you know, I can help you with. When I called back, I spoke with his judicial assistant who uh, told me, you know, I asked her for the status of this case, and I went on to tell her that this, is the, this, this case is, is unusual because it has over 200 pages of the transcript missing, and I said that because that stands out to me over 200 pages of the transcript missing stands out and so she stopped me as soon as i said that and she said when those cases were finished they were sent when, when those cases were done they were sent back to denver colorado and so she repeated it when those cases were done they were sent back to denver colorado and she said let me give you the name of the person who can give you the information that you are looking for as far as where, you know, the status of the decision. So he, she did, she gave me that information. I did call uh, the Denver um, appellate office there and spoke with, with Mr. Doug Kressler there who told me when I spoke with him, Oh, that's been back in this office since May of 2013. It has been hmm. back from the appellate judge since May of 2013. So, we're almost in May of 2014 with a case with over 200 pages of the transcript missing, and they're telling us there's been no decision made. Why would Hmm. the appellate judges send it back and there is no decision made on it?
5: Well, I I think I might be able to answer that, and that's Judge Sarek, and that's just guessing uh, what the judge's office might have been saying to you is that the record that was brought to the the original record that was brought up to the appellate court was sent back because the judges heard the case and they probably have decided it at least by vote and somebody is in the process of writing the opinion. Uh, That's the only explanation that I can think of that would make any sense. In other words, the just the formal record that was there, and now has been sent back, but the case hasn't been sent back. The case is still with the appellate court.
1: So, so the the writing judge can take another year to write up the. Well, decision? as I said
5: before, um, there's nobody can make a judge uh, finish an opinion. Um, there's no, there's nothing in place. No procedure. Uh, I've I, I indicated before there are some internal rules on circuits as to what what's the preferred time period, usually 90 days. But uh, if it takes a judge a long time, this is a complicated case. And this, this one issue, you know, may be something they're all struggling with. But a year is a long time. And again, I don't want to criticize that court. I don't know how busy they are. But um, I, I can't explain the, the time period. Uh, Let me just say this, in defense of judges, particularly district court judges, the trial judges, uh, what happens is cases go up on appeal, uh, challenges to jury instructions, and each one comes back with some new or revised language that the trial court is obligated to incorporate. As a result, uh, decisions have become, excuse me, my, my dog barking, decisions have become uh, I'm sorry, instructions have become uh, more complicated rather than less complicated. There's a terrific uh, effort out uh, to simplify jury instructions, uh, and and that's in the best interest of everybody. But there's so many things that you have to include, and uh, in the definition of intent or whether intent is required is just the, one of the many things that we have to deal with. Anyway, I have to go. Uh, I, I wish you all luck and keep up the good work.
6: Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen. What you just heard was... The second part, two of the interview we played from, uh, we didn't play, but we needed to get to from Tuesday show, and why we're here tonight to to do the conclusion, if you will, of honoring, honoring federal retired judge H. Lee Sarakin. Uh, Dennis, when you hear the judge talk, uh, he doesn't mix his words. He's very clear on what he believes, uh, and he makes it clear uh, to let those listening to be able to understand uh, what he's talking about. It's just common sense. As far as the criminal justice system, that's the one element I believe he brings to the system. Exactly. As you heard in the clip, uh, he listened very closely. And, and when he answered a question, he made sure he answered it so that uh, the person on the other end could understand what he was saying. Right. I mean, he, he was trying not to be critical uh, of, of anyone, but he was making sure that, he, that you know, the interviewers understood that uh, this 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 ain't normal. <laughs> You know, right. what, what's going on here with this case is not normal at all. Uh, I, he tried in, in, in different instances to try to, uh, you know, help help the system out, but he, he couldn't do it. And, and he, just kept, he just kept coming back saying, hey, uh, you know, it's just not normal procedures. But that tells you that uh, he really listened to these guys because had he not listened uh, to to what, uh, you know, was being told to him, there's – we would never have got the, the Huffington Post articles. We would have never got uh, anything, you know, the, the articles that he put out there in reference to the RP6. So that tells you he heard them. He yep. listened. He went back and researched it. And he came well, up. There you have it. Yeah. And i tell you what, it goes to who the man is. Exactly. Uh, he's thorough uh, and is very, very direct. This is something that is lacking. Uh, in our criminal justice system today. We can call it what we want to. Yes, there are good judges out there. David's position that he made clear, you know, there's so much corruption within the system. Uh, And you have to look, sadly, far in between for those that take the stand and have the courage that uh, retired Judge Lee Sarakin has demonstrated. Uh, Folks, this is AJC Radio as we continue to honor retired Judge H.T. Sarakin, part two, if you will as we bring this to the conclusion of a champion for justice. We'll be right back. This is AJC radio. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or At the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with, especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future.
2: I wanted to be in the military since I was a a kid. I served in the United States Air Force.
10: I served a total of 16 years.
2: I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old,
8: that's the first time I ever saw somebody die.
1: Coming back, I was raging.
2: I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless.
0: I guess I never recognized it in myself.
2: Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody.
4: Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody. It'll make you let it go.
13: It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys
5: who couldn't come back so you owe it to them to live well because they're not here with their families
17: you can tell a lot about someone by what they spend their money on their priorities their concerns and their motives big pharma says their top priority is research and development they say the prescription drug costs are so high because they spend so much on research. But the simple truth is 9 out of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend 50% more on advertising than they do on research and development. It's true. Tens of billions more. The more they spend, the clearer it becomes. Big Pharma's priorities are more ads, more sales, and higher costs to you. It's time for Big Pharma to get their priorities straight. Americans deserve open and honest prescription drug pricing. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org.
10: There's a lot of mud when it rains here and it makes it really hard to find food. There are bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all gonna be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. talk about it. I've got to go home. Oh, come on, Carrie. We're don't going go to a new place? <laughs> don't be she wants to go home, right? <laughs> Let's go. Uh,
17: hold
10: it. Whoa. Is you okay to drive? Yeah, I'm, I'm Sure.
17: Relax. What's a few beers? If you don't stop your friend from drinking and driving,
5: you're as good as dead. Drinking and driving can kill
3: a friendship.
6: Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, a very special show tonight, honoring federal retired judge H. Lee Sarakin, his work and all that he has accomplished. Uh, I'll tell you what, and what he continues to do to fight for justice, uh, the, the, the I would say the, the march for justice carries on, William. And he is 89 years of age and has not gotten tired yet. Uh, In regards to fighting for justice And he continues to do that uh, In retirement That speaks
7: volumes Yeah, it does I mean, he sees the need for the fight And I think, you know I'm not speaking for the man But you see clearly That he understands that the system is broken And that the role of the judge Is not what it is or what it should be And he has a role and responsibility He said, you know what And I think anybody that sees injustice They understand a movement takes leadership. It takes someone standing up and saying, listen, this is wrong. And that's what he's doing. You know, at 89 years of age, he is not yet done fighting. And it's amazing. It's amazing when you see that he believes so much and has such a conviction that he's saying, you know what, I have to do this.
6: No, absolutely right. It's one of those things that uh – Again, it is so rare in the land today in our criminal justice system and all that is going on. Uh, it's a you know, we've reached a bad point in society when we find a judge that is moved by the conviction and the oath he took. Rare when it seems to be a rare thing in the land and from the bench, uh, we're in a bad shape and. My thought is to, if we can, again, unfortunately, we can't clone Judge Sarakin and get thousands of them in in every courtroom in this country. Uh, However, uh, we hope that through getting the message out about Judge Sarakin, his compassion, his integrity, uh, his really own conviction, but brings everything down to the law. And what he argues is not something personal, it is something. That every judge should be doing what Judge Serrakin is doing. Why? He he took it on to uphold the rights of all Americans and the Constitution of the United States. So people look at, well, man, what is he about, man? Who is this judge? What is he doing? It he seems, seems so different. That's the problem. It should be normal what Judge Serrakin is doing. When he says he has a passion for the wrongfully convicted. He has a compassion to make sure that the rights of every defendant is protected under the law. I guarantee you, if every judge had that mindset, we would not have an issue with mass incarceration in this country right now. We would not have a record-setting trend of plea deals in our court system. You wouldn't have people sitting in court for, in jail, prison for 30 years and being exonerated later. If you follow the motto of Judge Serekin Dennis, your thoughts I agree uh, Again, we, we've said a lot about the judge I, I mean, he's just uh, awesome I mean, uh, over 2,000 written opinions uh, Thousands of cases uh, Settled over 3,000 cases <coughs> It's just that he's got so much experience and then he's willing to take that experience and, and again I have to always bring up the rP five because he took he took on their case I mean not 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 as a litigant but to expose to get it out there to let people know about it and he did it for absolutely nothing right he didn't charge him a penny that tells you that this judge is truly
5: about I mean about justice I mean uh, justice. I, yeah.
6: I there's what else can you say about someone that's willing to go out there and, and stick their neck out for five six gentlemen that they didn't even, he didn't even know but he did it because he knew for a fact that those men were innocent and he felt that there was he had to do something to make sure people understood and he took his platform he took his position and he pushed it, and he pushed hard for these guys and I again uh tonight I commend him as, as well as the last show I have to commend this judge for being uh, so unselfish and, and truly an advocate uh for the wrongfully and the innocent i mean no, absolutely awesome. right absolutely right let's take a little bit let's take a quick look at judge serekin uh some uh, some of his words he says here there's a substantial danger that our society concerned about the growth of crime will retreat from the safeguards and rights accorded to the accused by the constitution Judge Serekin said in overturning Carter's conviction, this is Hurricane Carter, he stated the need to combat crime should never be utilized to justify an erosion of our fundamental guarantees, added Serekin. Indeed, the growing volume of criminal cases would make us even more vigilant. The greater the quantity, the greater the risk to the quality of justice. That is huge. Cliff, excuse me, when you hear that, let me say that part again. He says, indeed, the growing volume of criminal cases would make us more vigilant, but the greater the quantity, the greater the risk to the quality of justice, meaning the time taken to
13: ensure justice. Right. I mean, it, the the thing that makes it, uh, you know, it, it's so simple. I mean, he applied the uh, the rule of percentages to the justice system that says, look, we're getting more cases. You guys, you, you claiming this, Oh, tough on crime. Well, the more people that you prosecute, the more the possibility it will be that you'll get the prosecution wrong. So why not put something in place that, that uh, is a check and a balance to say, to make sure that innocent people aren't first off locked up. And then second off, if, if they do, you know, so-called slip through the cracks and get locked up wrongfully, that there is an apparatus in place to ensure that they can get out and get out quickly. And with when you when you look at Judge Sarakin, he not only takes on the challenge of, you know, the 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 rule of percentages that says, okay, it's it's gonna happen because you have more numbers and it may have been in inadvertent, but he goes after the system when the system blatantly Uh, does wrong when you have prosecutors that step out of line and when you have other judges that step out of line he has been an advocate he has been a voice that says this is not acceptable from from any side of the aisle from any side of the bench from from uh from any prosecutor from anybody i mean he attacked the system when the system was wrong and when it did right he upheld it That's the thing about Judge Serekin. People might say, you know, like in the in the IRP Solutions case that, well, Judge Serekin took this on, uh, you know, and and he's biased. He absolutely was not biased in this case because he told I was on the phone the first time we talked to Judge Serekin. And he said, in no uncertain terms, if if once he said, I want you to send me everything that you have transcripts uh even the uh the indictment all the way down to the to the search warrant affidavit he said if anything that you guys are telling me is not true if i find that any of it that you're misrepresenting the truth then i will not deal with the case and i will not deal with you i will never answer your call again and for someone to to say that to make that statement to you. And and our response was, absolutely, Judge Serekin. We we understand that. We accept that. And we will send you everything that we have. And he came back and he said, you know, I see no crime here. I don't see how the uh, how the court could have even allowed this to come before a judge. And I don't know, you know, all the other issues of the case. Where is where are the uh, where where is this part of the missing transcript? And where is the actual, uh, crime with, with these men. Like he wrote the letter to, uh, to Mr. Jackson of the Washington post. It makes absolutely no sense. It, it just, it just really is a case that, uh, that, that should never have gotten to the federal bench. And, but he took, he took it on with no, 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 no prejudice, no, nothing except I want to see what the facts are and I'll deal with them when I, when I get them. And he has been he has been fighting and advocating for uh, for these men for for all of these years saying there was no crime committed and somebody needs to get them out of prison.
6: Oh, without question. And some more words from Judge Serekin. He writes, he states, furthermore, the prosecution has resources unavailable to the average criminal defendant. Therefore, it is imperative that information, which is essential to the defense in the hands of the prosecution, be made available to the accused, explained Sarakin. If trials are indeed searches for the truth rather than efforts to conceal it, full and fair disclosure is necessary to protect and preserve the rights of the accused against the awesome power of the accuser, Judge Sarakin warned. I mean, these are key things here. And when, it's not just, it's not, I mean, not, it's, it speaks so true to the IRP-5 case. He said it is imperative, the advantage of the prosecution. I heard one judge say that the office of the district attorney in a state case or the office of the government in a federal case comes with a certain prestige that is respected by the jury. Automatically, you go in with that against you. Judge Sarakin makes it clear. He said it is imperative that the information for the defense be given, meaning that the defense is able to put on its strongest case because the disadvantage starts from the beginning with the defendants. This is, as Cliff said, this is common sense, but I like the integrity, the conviction of judge serekin and how he speaks he goes further to say this serekin was a exceptionally brilliant jurist and an immensely talented writer and truthful commentary about about injustice corporate malfeasance government bureaucracy prosecutional misconduct sometimes calls politicians and peers to criticize him you see why the criticism is here you know why because the system is exactly the opposite of what Judge Serekin stands for. That's why we wish, uh, Pastor Banks made it clear. She said, I wish he had two lifetimes to make a difference. In 1984, case related to a Vietnam veteran who had been denied disability benefits, Judge Serekin called the federal government's Department of Health and Human Services a heartless and indifferent bureaucratic monster. Destroying the lives of disabled citizens In a 1983 case Serekin challenged the humanity Of the Small Business Administration's effort To collect $300,000 in debt From a penniless widow Judge Serrakin said The SBA's action caused him to wonder Whether our governmental agencies Are being run by machines rather than humans Better to have no government at all Than a government devoid of compassion And basic human decency Chided Serekin I mean, these, these are strong words. And guess what? Guess what? Nobody challenges the, the government of the United States. Nobody speaks up and says you're wrong. Judge Sarakin set the bar to call it what it is. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back.
4: And rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fear justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help.
2: The United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trials and inmates serving time after sentencing. So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people, 4.5% of the world's total population, but housed 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. As of 2010, there were over 1.6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local or regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone, but the human costs are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is desperately in need of reform.
6: Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio. As we are having a good time here tonight as we talk about the legend, the Judge of Justice, we call him here at AJC Radio, the federal retired judge, H. Lee Sarakin. Uh I'll tell you what, folks, if you've been uh, tuned in to this show tonight, and as we go over some of the words of Judge Sarakin, man, I was explaining to Cliff, you see why people didn't like him, because it goes against status quo. It goes against the norm of a criminal justice system that is falling off the really falling off the tracks. And he his conviction is is I'm telling you it William it sticks with you. I mean these are some words that you know you're just not talking you're walking the walk with it. Absolutely. I mean you just you just said
7: it conviction moves you. It's about action, and that's what this man has done. I mean he has committed his life. To, to fighting injustice and saying you know what it, it, this is it has to be done somebody has to pick up this mantle and and do something with it because it's such a travesty the the, the justice system that we have today is no justice mm-hmm. and there's so much wrongful conviction so much injustice it's so much bias towards uh, the the, uh, the prosecution or a favor towards the, fo- the prosecution that it shouldn't be and so. You know, Judge Sarakin is not going to to let these these situations and circumstances go without being, you know, his voice being heard.
6: No, absolutely right, William. Man, I'm I'm telling you, man, these words, because you know, you're not you're not just reading stuff off of a piece of paper. This is the heart of Judge Sarakin and really should be followed by every judge that occupies a bench in this nation. Uh, should have this same type of conviction. He states here in a 1984 case related. Uh, but that's not the case. This goes another one. One of the, uh, the uh, huge moments in Sarek's judicial career was when he showed compassion and concern for the health and well-being of consumers. In a 1992 opinion, he appropriately and strongly criticized tobacco companies and other large corporations for failing to disclose the dangerous health risks associated with their products. In light of the current controversy, uh, Serikin states, surrounding breast implants, he states one wonders when all industries will recognize their obligation to voluntarily disclose risk from the use of their products. All too often, the choice between the physical health of consumers and financial well-being of business, concealment is chose over disclosure, sales over safety, and money over morality. Who are these persons who knowingly and secretly decide to put the buying public at risk solely for the purpose of making profits and who believe illness and death of consumers is an appropriate cost of their own prosperity? Dennis, chime in on that. Again, it's, I mean, he is just amazing. I mean, the, just the way he speaks and, and, and he's He's a judge that's truly against all injustice. It doesn't matter what type of injustice it is, whether it's in a civil suit. It doesn't matter. He's about making sure that, you know, people have, that have been wrong or in, or, or people that are innocent and have been wrong, that he, it's, it's get, it gets fixed. And as a judge, he pushed the issues to make sure that, those that were going through those were were dealing with you know dealing with different issues as 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 a representative as a representative of theirs he made sure that he 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 did did the right thing to make sure they understood that he was looking out for well the thing that is amazing here money and greed is a huge part of this nation whether it's criminal justice You got enough money, you can buy the criminal justice system. Big companies, corporations, people are not speaking out against their lack of human decency, as Sarakin states here, not to warn consumers of the risk of their product. And he made it clear. He said, Who does this? That think prosperity is more important than human decency and of the consumer, their life. This is something that you don't argue with the large corporations. Why? They're billionaires. He he didn't care. He didn't care. That's just. And when you make the statement that, for the purpose of making profits, who believe illness and death of consumers is an appropriate cost. Wow. That is a statement. Doesn't matter how much money you have. As the following facts disclose, said Serrakin, despite some rising pretenders. The tobacco industry may be the king of concealment and disinformation. In 1954, the tobacco industry promised to disseminate the results of the industry sponsored independent scientific research for the purpose of answering the question Does cigarette smoking cause illness? added Sarakin. Decades later, one searches in in vain for a frank statement to cigarette smokers from the tobacco industry which, which purports to answer. That question mused Judge Serackin, so now we give a statement may call cancer, may cause cancer. So he, basically he's saying they come with some statement decades later, when how many people are set to die, this is a judge of justice. This is a judge who cares about equality, human life decency morality integrity where has that gone in this country you don't find it
7: no it's been bought and paid for i mean we're talking about a criminal justice system that has privatized prisons and we've seen we've talked about we've had shows to talk about the body counts that they have been promised to these prisons you he is saying he's basically saying this justice should not be bought and sold it's not a for-profit industry this is human life. And he's sitting here saying, what is the price? You're talking about life? A profit. So a profit. You're talking about padding your pocket or somebody's life being discarded. So what is the cost of human life? And that is really what he's dealing with. He's dealing with the fact, what is the price tag of human life? When you could say bodies can go to prison, people who cannot afford proper representation in the court system okay what does it cost them what does it cost them they're offered a plea deal they're offered a plea deal because they cannot afford somebody to actually take the time to look at their paperwork look at their case like you know i that's the thing that we're seeing right now we're seeing this and you said it before the break this huge amount of plea deals that are going through you know people are they're they're really put between a rock and a hard place and judge Sarakin's saying they should not be placed in that position they should be placed in a position of fairness that says listen let's evaluate the case and i'm the judge i am i am here looking at you i'm not looking to left or to the right i'm looking at fairness and i will judge according to that
6: absolutely this is absolutely awesome judge Sarakin if you're hearing this show tonight, take a bow wherever you might be for being the judge of justice. These words, they last, they last indefinitely. And when you read them, they come with the same power in which Judge Serekin spoke them. Thank you, Judge Serekin, for being an example of true justice. Let's hear a, a little bit of conversation with Judge Serekin.
4: I was thinking at the time I went out to your part of the world now, California, and I went up to San Francisco and was able to take there a program with my old professor, uh, Kenneth M. Stamp, one of the best historians, American historians around. And I asked Ken Stamp, over the years, have you changed your mind in terms of historical judgments? And he very quickly said yes. And he had changed his mind about certain things about Abraham Lincoln, and certainly changed his mind about Franklin D. Roosevelt, so that by then he and I agreed on a very pro-attitude toward FDR. And I wondered what you would say if I asked you the same question. Well,
5: those are historical uh, persons and events, Uh, so in perspective you might feel differently about it. when I render a decision or when I write these blogs, I give it some careful thought. And um, I, I think I've been very consistent over the years in, in my views. And I, I think they're reflected in the current uh, posts they call them to the blog. Well, I didn't even it? know that that was the appropriate word. I said to somebody that I was blogging and they say, no, you post to your blog.
4: Right? Well, I've learned something now. <laughs> what about the blog? How do you like doing? I love posting it. the
5: blog. Uh, it. Uh, it's my only art form. Uh, uh, Art form? uh, Yes. Writing is the only thing that I think I do well. I can't paint. I can't sing. I'm somewhat of a musician, but the writing is my art form and I thoroughly enjoy it. And I look for something that I can write about. I wish more people were reading it because I think very few people read my blog. I understand that there are are millions of blogs out there. I don't know how to get everybody's attention. Maybe this program will
4: do it. What do you think about the blog itself? There have been those who have said that the blog marks the death of journalism. Well,
5: I know there's a dispute about it. One of the things that bothers me the most, and I'm in no position to make recommendations as to changes, but I think one of the worst things about the blog world is how many authors are anonymous or use some fictitious name i think it would be a hundred percent better if everybody was required to use their own name Uh, i read some of the commentaries even sometimes i'll go to a musician and there'll be a piece that the musician has done and then some of the exchanges between the critics are so vile at each other the language that's used the personal attacks and i just think that if they identified themselves, uh, that a lot of that would go away. Do you
4: think this personal attack is perhaps the purpose of blogging? Well, because
5: you're anonymous, I guess you can say anything. And I think that that's one of the failings of it. On the other hand, from an informational point of view, it's limitless. Uh, You can find anything on the Internet. and uh, Truth and untruth. Absolutely. Doesn't that... Concern you? Oh, very much so. And it's hard to weed out what is the truth from what is untrue. Um, but I'd rather have it than not have it.
6: There you go, Judge Sarakin uh speaking so eloquently, so matter of fact, if you will, as far as his own conviction is concerned, uh that's, that's absolutely awesome. Judge Serrakin wrote an article in the Huffington Post, I believe, or on his blog, and he states the guilty have a better chance for parole or pardon than the innocent. And he writes, in order to obtain a parole, pardon, or some form of clemency, admissions of guilt, acceptance of responsibility, and expressions of remorse are considered as the most important factors in granting liberty from confinement. Their purpose is apparent, and for the guilty, they pose no barrier. But for the innocent, they may impose an insurmountable one. The guilty seeking release may, may feign remorse, but feigning guilt for the innocent demands too much of a sacrifice. Stories around abound of those wrongful convicted being denied release because of their insistence upon their innocence. The pressure to lie and admit guilt must be staggering. Some succumb. And for those who finally do and are denied release because they have claimed they're innocent in prior applications and are thus deemed untruthful and their expressions of remorse insincere. I recently became interested in the topic because for the first time in over 60 years in law, I supported the clemency application for a group of defendants known as the IRP-6 from Colorado. They have persistently and consistently proclaimed their innocence. And as a result, I found it difficult in supporting the application to comply with the standards and qualifications for a clemency petition. The basis basis for my support is set forth in numerous prior articles, the more recent being a blog on the Huffington Post. The pressure upon the innocent to lie and admit guilt exists not only at the end of the process when seeking liberty, after conviction, and confinement, but at the beginning when the possibility of confinement first looms. I expect that the percentage of persons wrongfully convicted is rather small, but the statistics give little comfort to those who are confined, nor should it comfort our society as a whole. But I suspect that many more innocent persons, the poor, the uneducated, minorities, are imprisoned because of plea bargains, coerced by threats of long imprisonment and misrepresentations of the evidence against them. Those persons do not face the dilemma of having to admit guilt in order to receive a pardon or parole because they have already been compelled to lie and admit their guilt, furnishing evidence of their guilt that can only have been spoon-fed to them. As a result, we have bookends of institutionalized deceit, At both ends of our criminal justice system, at either end, the innocent are convinced and coerced into admitting their guilt in order to minimize their terms of imprisonment, although they deserve none at all. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back.
12: let's just be honest when we look across the street to the Supreme Court and we see equal justice under law um, when you have drug laws so severely disparately enforced against some groups let's let's take African Americans for example there's no difference between black and white marijuana usage or marijuana sales in fact but blacks are about 3.7 times more likely to be arrested for it Um, African Americans are more likely to get uh, mandatory minimums, are more likely, about 13, to get 13% longer sentences, and it's created these jagged disparities in, in incarceration. In my state, blacks are about 13-14% of the population, they make up over 60% of the prison population. And remember, the overwhelming majority of people we arrest in America are nonviolent offenders. Now you've got this this disparity in the arrest, but that creates disparities that painfully fall all along the system. When you get arrested uh, for possession with intent to sell, do it in inner city, now you're within a school zone. So now you have to face an even higher mandatory minimum. Now you're 19 years old with a felony conviction, possession, intent to sell in a school zone. Forget even all that. If you just have a felony conviction for possession, what do you face now? Thousands of collateral consequences that will dog you for the rest of your life. You can't get a help Grant. You can't get a
6: and welcome back ladies and gentlemen to ajc radio as we are coming close to the end of a very special two days of honoring who we call the judge of justice retired federal judge h lee Serakin. I'll tell you right now, folks, we are floored with the words of H. Lee Sarakin. And, man, I'll tell you, Pastor Banks made it plain how we wish that the RP 5 could have been before his court, his bench. Because justice would have been done without question. And uh, when you go and begin to look at the life and hear the words of Judge Sarakin. I'm telling you, Dennis, it moves you almost to tears. With that type of conviction, um, is awesome. And what he did when he talked about the the, uh, the the companies, the people that don't care, people just don't speak that anymore. Very few do. But how different would our criminal justice system be with those that have the conviction of Judge Serrica? How different? It would be very different. I mean, to be a judge, you gotta you gotta have some you gotta have some passion. Uh, you gotta have uh, concern for care for the truth, care for right. You know, you you gotta hate injustice. You gotta hate uh, someone being wronged or or imprisoned or you know given the death sentence. All this stuff. You you gotta hate anything that is against the law or, or, you
12: know, regardless of who it is against. And that's what uh, Judge
6: H. Lee Serekin represents. He represents a judge, one that truly rightfully uh, divides the word and, you know, know, rightfully divides the truth. And I mean, again, you got to be someone that's truly passionate. No, absolutely right, Dennis. Let's hear a little bit more from Judge Serakin as we get to the conclusion of this show.
4: Listen. This is your February 17th, 2007 uh, blog, Court TV or Not to Be? Yes. Uh, what is your fix?
5: I'm, I'm uh, mixed. I, I have to admit that I'm very ambivalent on this issue. I think there are a great many advantages. Lee Sarakin is ambivalent. Yes. (laughs) Um, First of all, I don't see any reason why Supreme Court arguments should not be available, uh, both uh, video and and audio. I know that some of the Supreme Court justices oppose it. They don't want to be recognized. They don't want excerpts to appear, uh, blips on the evening news. But uh, I, I think the public and those who want to, because there can't be a great market for Supreme Court arguments, except in some very rare cases. But I see no reason. All the arguments against TV in the courtroom, I think, do not apply to the appellate courts. Uh, insofar as the trial courts are concerned, I think there are some terrific advantages to having TV in the courtroom. It gives Name the public, one. Well, it gives the public the opportunity to see the system uh, at work. It what gives do we the
4: Wait a judge, but you say it gives the public the opportunity to see the system at work, yes, then you're talking about those instances in which what goes on in the courtroom is put on television, yes, but that isn't what cameras in the courts generally means. Cameras in the court means. Generally, what the broadcaster wants to put yes. on of what goes on. Well, that's
5: that, that's the detriment of it. In other words, it's the selection that's the problem, not the fact that it's being televised, but what appears on uh, on television as a result of the choices that are being made. But you asked for a specific reason why I think there's some advantages to it as well as disadvantages.
4: For the whole thing
5: being changed. One of the advantages, I think, is... If there is a judge who was particularly um, arrogant, uh, impatient, uh, rude, I think having that judge televised on a couple of occasions and having that appear might change uh, that uh, judge's attitude and demeanor and temperament. Uh, I think that's an advantage. I think I mentioned in my article, um, I forget what case it was uh, in the blog Yes, it was the, here we go. The woman who, um, there was a Florida trial about, um, oh, Anna Nicole Smith. All right. And that was being televised. And I thought that was terrible. I think I mentioned in the blog that it looked like it was in somebody's basement uh, having a poker game.
6: Justice has many names, many faces, just as injustice does. For the last two programs on AJC Radio, honoring the work and the conviction of a champion for justice, Judge H. Lee Sarakin. He states here, although federal judges take an oath to uphold the Constitution and do justice... The vast majority of judges don't have the courage to defend the rights of the wrongfully convicted because it tarnishes the justice system and casts aspirations on prosecutors and judges. But Judge Serekin has never been the average judge or human being. He is committed to his oath and is driven by a deep-rooted fidelity to do what is right, to protect those who suffer injustice. Judge Sarakin has the courage to break ranks with the federal justice system where active and retired federal judges remain silent or minimize prosecutional and judicial misconduct that lead to wrongful convictions and imprisonments of Americans. In 2014, at the age of 85, Judge Sarakin was the only federal judge to decry the wrongful conviction and imprisonment of six information technology Executives known as the IRP 6 that occurred in the federal courts where he once proudly served. That is awesome. To Judge Sarakin, to his family, to his law clerks, to all that know him, to every person that called to say thank you, to honor this judge of justice. AJC Radio says a very special thank you. For your words. In search for justice, we have found a man that holds up to the standard, federal retired judge H. Lee Serekin. We honor you tonight. Till next time, America,
4: take care. Now, you've been very modest about what you said about your audience for your blog. Did you get response to the question, when you, uh, shall I say, editorialized or issued your opinion or your judgment or your decision about cameras in the courts?
5: No, no, very uh, – I I, know, I have no recollection of anybody even responding to it. As I said, I, the readership is very limited, so that's a dangerous question to ask me because in most cases I haven't heard from anybody.
4: Lee, I'm going to write you from now on right, when I read please. something uh, on the blog. But, but going uh, through a number of these uh, – uh, the question of haters' speech, uh, as you call it, you're um, you're concerned about uh, blogging bringing out negative feelings. You've not experienced that.
5: Well, I have, and I um, I, I think I mentioned in one of my earliest blogs that, and goes back to what I said at the outset about people uh, write in an anonymous fashion. Uh, I was astonished when I first issued my my blog uh, not was r- what was written in response to it but what was written elsewhere, uh, elsewhere on the internet if I ran my name for instance to see what the reaction to the blog was there there were some uh, incredibly vicious personal attacks that just... Uh, uh, astonished me. I, I couldn't, and I responded to it saying, you know what, what, I'm not an axe murderer. I may have written some opinions with which you don't agree, but where does all this venom come from? There was one person in particular, the very first uh, blog that I had uh, written, uh, said you should go and look at something called, about the Reuben Carter case, how Sarakin got it wrong, And, and I went to that figuring, well, I'm going to find out the mistake I made. And he supposedly listed what was in my opinion. 90% of it was not in my opinion and then put it side by side of the prosecutor's uh, brief and said that if you compared my opinion to the prosecutor's brief, you could see that I was wrong. And I responded by saying, well, what, what about the 140,000 pages of uh, record? What about the unanimous uh, affirmance by the United uh, by the United States Court of Appeals? What about the refusal of the Supreme Court to review? I mean, don't those things make any difference? And I said, if you took one side of a case and compared it to an opinion, the, the losing side would always make the judge look wrong. You know, I mean, it was, uh, so I thought that that was just so typical and such an unfair way to uh, to present something and then i realized that's there's an awful lot of that on the internet